Welcome to Well Played Podcast, the show on all things playful and joyous in education. I'm your host, Michael Matera, sixth grade teacher, author, and motivational speaker. Today is another questions from Paul. I'm super excited to get these this, these questions rolling today. And Paul, before we get started, can you give a brief introduction of yourself? Absolutely. Uh, my name's Paul Yenny. I'm a fifth grade teacher in Colorado Springs. Uh, second year teacher, first year gamifier. Um, just jumping in with both feet. Yeah, and for anybody that hasn't caught the series, this is, like we said, our third episode with Paul uh, asking questions here. And Paul is new to gamification. It's his first year in gamification, second year in education, right? Mm-hmm. It's my second year in the classroom, second full year in the classroom. I've been a para for, I've been in education for seven, eight years now. Nice. But, All right. So two years as captain of the ship there, uh, yes. his own classroom. And uh, yeah, so we're, we're kind of going through hopefully this year, get, get seeing Paul's questions and trying to help him through his year and help anybody else that's sort of in Paul's, Paul's spot. So what do you got for us today, Paul? What's the, what's the questions? The first one that I wanted to talk to you about was boss battles. Um, Ooh, I love from, from being on Twitter, I'm seeing there's a whole lot of different ways to set them up. What are some different ways to do boss battles? What is a boss battle? Just conceptually, what is it? How do you mm-hmm. use it in your classroom? And what are some tools that you can use to vary them and keep them interesting and Sure. What do kids like? All right. So, uh, solid question. And as you teed it up there, there is a lot of ways to do boss battles. So, again, just general disclaimer these are the ways I've used it. I might touch upon a few other people's concepts, but man, there's no real wrong way to do it. So, starting from the top, what is a boss battle? In a video game, that's where the term sort of comes from. Uh, Boss battles happen at the end of. kind of an end of a chapter, if you will, like of a level. And and sometimes there were mini bosses along the way. And the mini bosses tended to like test your strength a little bit, see if you knew what you were doing, see if you were skilled enough, see if you had the right equipment. And then as you got a little further in and you got to the final end like guy for that level, he was, you know, a bigger version sometimes of that same boss, like a little better version of that boss. And so these are just big assessments, if you will. So in, in schools, this is like, again, a, a space where it perfectly maps onto games, perfectly map onto education, right? Because we have these quizzes. Those would be kind of like your mini bosses. And then like your big tests would be your bosses. Now, I didn't use my boss battles to be quizzes and tests, but conceptually, you could say like that's a that's a way to think of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I usually use them for formative assessment, uh, a lot of times ungraded. So just like you would a quiz, kind of see where the, what's the pulse of the class. Are they doing their readings? Are they understanding the, the concepts we're teaching? So I would put a quiz, or not a quiz, sorry, a mini boss battle there. So sometimes a boss could be really easy to defeat. Like it, it'll only take a few... I don't know, a few hits or th- of the boss to beat him. So 
I built these mini bosses where I could just slap it down on a table and the kids had to start fighting that boss while the other kids maybe were working on something else. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but the, to, to defeat the boss, it might mean they have to get like five questions right. And functionally, I think this is important because you want to create a system that isn't burdensome on you, the teacher. And if all I have to do is come up with five questions, I mean, I can do that off the top of my head, easy peasy. So now I can have this stack of mini bosses, I laminate them, and I literally do what I just said. Either I'll pick one while they're working and they don't know what's coming, and I slap one on the table, or I literally come up with them with this like deck of bosses and mix it up and slap one on the table. That sometimes can produce a little like nerve nerve wracking uh, situations. Um, Another another functional way you can do it for quick is these mini bosses that again you've sort of constructed that they only need four or five right answers to defeat the boss. If you end up making like a deck of them, you could give one out to each table and they have to write down their answers. So you still are only asking five questions to the whole class. Um so that that again is quick and easy. You could you could do that. If you have seven, eight minutes left in class, boom, throw these bosses out there. It gives them something to like be excited that they, they've defeated, right? They, they, mm-hmm. It's a bonding point that they come together. You can structure them that your bosses, you fight collaboratively or individually. Like those are your all different ways to do the boss battles. Um, the other thing I like too with boss battles is, again, it's a, it's a space where you can infuse more of your theme, right? So mm-hmm. if you're if you're a space theme, boom, you know, you could have a boss could literally be like an asteroid coming to Earth. <laughs> like yeah. it could it could just be that simple. That's the theme of it, right? And then you you kind of have to detail these hit points and these these this is something I sort of glossed over. I didn't really mention here when I say that boss only needs four or five hits. You have to think of a mechanic where if they get a question right they either do a certain amount of damage to a guy, like you just said it, that each right answer is worth, you know, 10 points of damage. Or I, I go with a die rolling mechanic, so they can do, you know, anywhere from one to six damage. And then you can get into, if you really want to get into it, you can get into different dice, you know, like maybe they have an upgraded mm-hmm. thing, so they get an eight-sided die, a 10-sided die, right? <clears throat> I don't go down that rabbit hole not because it's a bad idea, but just because I'm putting my energies to other places in my game. Like, right. do I think that would be an awesome idea to have like an upgraded boss battle weapon tree system? Totally. I just am working on, I got 20 other irons I'm working on. Uh, right. So if anybody wants to go develop that, I will steal it and use it. <laughs> and like, love you for it. But uh, right now I just have a simple six-sided die. They roll. And then the other fun thing you can do if you want to get super zany give some of the bosses like a specialty. Like I, you know, like sometimes I have like, if you get a question wrong, then you have to roll a die for the, for the boss. So it's like the boss is rolling the die and I have a little chart. Like if you roll an even number, he does something to you, you know, or if you Mm -hmm. roll a six, you lose an item. Like, oof, like you sort of like dropped it in the fight, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Now, if you're going to start doing those kind of things, 
you should also have a reward then if they defeat the boss. Like if there's if there's a potential to lose, you have to have a potential to gain. So, you know, make sure you aren't just being punitive to the kids. Right. <laughs> uh, but that's that's some of the general boss battle feel. Um, I mean, if, I don't know how much you want me to get into this answer. They're like, they're, <laughs> there's probably like 10 other things I could tell you, but I, I don't know if you want. I mean, you let, let, you let me know. How was that answer? Well, so, so what, I've, what I've done with some boss battles is I've tried some Kahoot and I've tried some Gim Kit stuff. Um, and because I'm doing a superhero theme, the nice thing about superhero story structure is you, the superhero always encounters the villain about two or three times before they actually capture them. Mm-hmm. So instead of doing mini bosses, we just do a first battle with this. And no matter how the battle goes, the villain's going to get away. Mm-hmm. You may have stopped their plot for now, but they get away because you still have to go capture them. And then at the end of the unit, since all my my villains are tied to units, then we can have a big boss battle where we can capture him and put him in jail. Um, nice. But we've done kind of like, okay, so at, collectively as a class with Gimkit, you need to raise this much money. Or we did a mystery boxes from, from XP, like Pirate. Um, and it was depending on the whole class total of points. I had a little tree of if they get more than this, then we capture him. If they get less than this, we interrogate him, but he gets away. And if, if they get under a certain threshold, he wreaks havoc on the city. And then we have to do some rebuilding over the next week um, that way. Um, so I think, I think that's, it's good to hear some variety and putting some dice in there and getting some of that randomness and maybe even doing some random encounter type things with bosses where you do just go set it on a desk and go, you're being attacked. What are you going to do? Um, that kind of stuff. So I've, I, I took a lot away from that answer just to piece by piece. The nice thing too with the mini, like truly the mini bosses you can slap on their desk is it also gives you a whole slew of uh, new items you could create, right? Because if Mm -hmm. you're going to be fighting these bosses, you could start to build game mechanics and items around these mini bosses. Now, before you can go thinking what mechanics would be around your items, you you do have to flush out what is a boss battle for you. You know, like, mm-hmm. is it die rolling? Because then, all right, then there's an item that you could re-roll a die. Then there's an item where you could, like, add points to a die, right? Like, so, you know, there could be a item that you just get to put in play a die that is already set to the number four. You know, like, just these little, mm-hmm. little mechanics where, like, what does that mean in your game? I don't know, but, like... Oh, like I'm sure there's reasons to have like just a certain number die or there's a guarantee for hit points on the boss kind of thing mm-hmm. just because you have this sword. So do you keep boss battles the same? Like boss battle means one thing in your room? Uh, or, or do you year, switch it up depending on the boss? Boss battle typically means one thing. They don't know what okay. the boss is and the boss... Right. And they're, I, I guess per your point... There are for me three three ways I do my bosses, so I I guess it doesn't mean one thing. I either have one where I put it up on the screen, like mm-hmm. what the boss is, and the whole class is fighting this boss. Um, then I do ones where I actually hand out <clears throat> laminated sheets that have the boss on them, 
and I give those out one boss per table. Mm-hmm. And so like now I'm asking questions to the whole room and their right answers fight their, their boss. Um, and then the third way, like I said, is the smaller mini bosses that are a deck of cards and I deal one out. Yeah. Table. And then I guess the fourth way, <laughs> if you, did you watch my video on buildings in the classroom or whatever? Yes. So I made a building because some students had a lot of items that went with bosses. And I, you know, like there still isn't a ton of boss battles. I'm not doing this daily. Mm-hmm. And some kids were like, well, I want to use those items. Like, So we made a building that was like kind of themed around the Coliseum. And I would mm-hmm. pin up on the Coliseum a boss, and then kids could put their avatars there to, to sort of perpetually, if they wanted, take keep a risk. Keep fighting, yeah. Keep fighting and take a risk. And they could, and they knew they could like lose items and could get, could get injured. But uh, there, there was also that reward potential if they defeated the, the sort of monster that was in the Coliseum. So awesome. those are the four ways. Again, tons of mechanics that could go around this. I didn't talk about my battle points. Those are things that I use in that system. I, I, that is enough for me to chew on right now. Sweet. I gave you a lot. You have <laughs> yes. Now. Um, here's one I've really been interested in and I have not even touched because I'm just not sure how to work it in, especially an elementary classroom. Mm-hmm. How do you inject non-friendly game mechanics without griefing and hurt feelings? Uh, I think I have an answer, but can you give me like team tee up a like situation? I guess. So I guess a situation would be when you are in a boss battle and someone freezes another team, or someone mm-hmm. chooses to play this item, which will stop one person from being able to attack the boss. Or something where it really gets competitive in between players instead of just the players against an obstacle. Because mm-hmm. in my room, a lot of the obst- the only competition the kids have is leaderboard points. Yep. But when we get attacked, it's all of us together. It's a big cooperative thing. Or it's team versus team. And there's no PvP component or any items that would be able to harm another player or just start start that kind of stacking of, oh, we're all going to go after this person. We're going to dogpile on them, and we all have these items that hurt them. Let's all go after them. Uh, I mean, the answer, you might not like it. But I, <laughs> uh, well, just like you, I don't have a ton of player versus player items. I have a few. I have one that does skip a turn from a person in like a review day. So if mm-hmm. we're playing Jeopardy, you could literally just say group four doesn't even get to send somebody up on this question. And they're obviously going to do it on like a 500-point question. Yeah. So like that hurts. Um, and I I don't know. I think I'm maybe oh, I have one where someone could steal XP, but not from a player, but from the house itself. Okay. So like it doesn't feel as personal. I'm not taking it from Paul. I'm just taking it from, yeah. Like, the general pot and that like um it's it's a rather interesting mechanic it's it's based around um it's it's called brutus 
it's based around like killing like <laughs> Caesar, right? And uh, it's this idea of greed because the way the item works, they're stealing from their own house. Mm-hmm. So their own house is going to go down like a thousand points or whatever. I mean, like it just says you're going to it's going to go down a lot of points. The house will go down a thousand, but I can't just give you a thousand because then the house wouldn't go down a thousand because right. You're in the house, so you capture 50% of the points stolen. So you personally are going to go up, mm-hmm. but like your society is going to go down. I like that a lot. So it's really like teaching them a little bit about greed. And mm-hmm. last year when we had that, every every house had some people that had this item, uh, but only one only one house chose to use it. I mean, like there was a clear <laughs> like peer pressure given that like, we're working together. Like, why would you mm-hmm. do that? Why would you? <laughs> and... Well, that I, I've thought about since it's a superhero thing, injecting maybe second semester, second quarter, some opportunities to maybe have some villains and maybe mm-hmm. have some kids have the opportunity to turn if they mm-hmm. want to. And that might be an interesting kind of, it'd be kind of like a, I'm thinking like a secret Hitler. Like if you're yep. called out on being a villain, you're done. You lose. You you've signed kind of this this deal with the devil, um, where if you're caught, you maybe lose a level or you lose all this. But you can do some of these fun sneaky yeah. things and get some cool items that no one really knows about. Um, I so that awesome. that intrigues me. One to to more directly answer your question though, if let's say kids with that item that they get to skip a player in jeopardy, for example, let's say they all piled on one student and it's clearly like a popularity sort of, mm-hmm. no one likes Jimmy. So we're going to just pile on Jimmy and no one, and we're all going to get a good laugh at Jimmy's expense. If it's truly that direct, that just becomes a conversation. Like what, like, okay, gentlemen, give me the strategic value of doing what you're doing. And if you can do it, mm-hmm. I will. I will back your play. Like I don't care who wins this game, but right. I, the way I see it as an adult, it looks like you're just all picking on Jimmy because Jimmy's like fiftieth on the leaderboard. There's no reason to pick on him, Jimmy. You know, like what? And typically, and maybe that's more of a middle school conversation. I don't know, but like that's how I'd handle. I it think in fifth school. graders could handle that. Yeah. Yeah. So like, and they get it, and then what I if I could on the spot think of a way. To make Jimmy the hero, I would definitely do it. Right. <laughs> like, if, like in my head, I would be sitting there as I'm sort of talking to these students about what's the strategic value. I'd be in the back of my mind thinking, what's a, a situation I can give to Jimmy right now where he could save the day? Like, mm-hmm. if like if I had a sweet item that no one has, I might be like, you know, for your, for your like, you know honesty and for your honor and like how you handle the situation jimmy like you get the sword of truth or something like that and like yeah boom this thing can just like take down a boss it's like one time use only so like he can't keep it right <laughs> but it can make him be, it can make him mm-hmm. feel better in this moment uh which really wasn't his fault and if truly jimmy kept his composure and didn't like go nuts like right that's honorable jimmy that you these people were picking on you and not that you took it, but you know what I mean. Like mm-hmm. you, you didn't react to it. Yes, love it. Yeah. So I and I think too. This is one of those things that I think people don't 
understand about gamification like it gives you so many ways to also teach character ed i mean like mm-hmm. when is that going to come up without it being like you'd really have to like watch what's happening specifically at recess or the lunchroom like that's the kind of stuff that unfortunately slides by some of us teachers mm-hmm. but this this is going to put kids in a situation where they're going to have to make sort of good or bad choices in front of our eyes <laughs> yeah all right, my next two questions are broader, kind of outside the classroom kind of things about gamification. So what does your gamified room look like in the context of your wider school building? Are you the only gamifier at your school? Have you converted others? What what does that look like, your classroom and your school? Sure. So <clears throat> when I first started to gamify, I... I remember it was the one of those beginning meetings that you have, like pre pre service meetings. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there with my department chairs, or my department chair and the two other guys in the department. And I was like, "Well, I think I'm gonna ga- gamify. I'm gonna do this." And back then, like it wasn't a thing. No one, mm-hmm. no one was doing this. Zero people were doing this. And so all like they all made these jokes, you know, like and they meant well, but it hurt a little bit because like I'm being serious, like I'm gonna do mm-hmm. this thing and they were all like yes i'm gonna be a a white paladin in mr matero's class <laughs> you know like <laughs> totally like making fun of me uh and i left that meeting like am i doing you know i'm about to do the wrong thing this is middle school our middle schooler is going to make the same sort of like jokes that these guys are making and i decided i'm going to do it anyways like i think this is my gut was telling me this was the right thing to do I'm so glad I did because obviously that led to like doing more of it, writing blogs, the book, all of it. Um, but over time, you know, like there's nothing that creates a better like winning argument than success. Like kids mm-hmm. really are thriving in my classroom. Parents, literally at parent-teacher conferences will start to ask like, how are we going to replicate this? Like does, I want my child to have this Again, when they move up mm-hmm. to seventh, eighth, even in high school. So, like, you know, what other opportunities does my child have for this style? Um, and as that happened, year over year, more teachers started to embed gamification in their classrooms. So, I would say right now, the high school has an entire, like, huge almost like model UN simulation they've created for people. And in fact, it's the like capstone piece to uh, what they call global scholars, which is an additional thing you can get on your diploma. It's like, Mm -hmm. and it's the only additional thing you can get on your diploma. So like, holy cow, like the one thing that our school, like you can add to your diploma is a global scholars degree and the piece to it the capstone piece is a gamified experience. Like that's unbelievable to me that that's the only diploma designated thing. And then, uh, going back to like the middle school, uh, the science teacher and I both gamified at the same time I told her about it and she was like, let's do it. So sixth grade science and social studies are gamified. They're separate games. Mm -hmm. And then like eighth grade and seventh grade started to do more gamified, like units so they're not like full on right 
Um, this year, well, last year we got a new sixth grade English teacher. She was just getting her feet wet, figuring out the curriculum. And this year she's doing a fully gamified year. So our sixth graders are in three separate fully gamified courses. I, I have to believe that our students are one of the most versed in gamification because mm -hmm. I don't know anybody else that literally has three core subjects. I mean, so English, right. science, and social studies are fully gamified and they're separate games. Mm -hmm. that's, that's awesome. Yeah, and then there was some lower school activity too where some teachers have done gamified units. Like I helped a fourth grade team develop this like Shakespeare unit that's gamified. Uh, I think I did a video on YouTube about like a kindergarten that got gamified at my school. So, you know, like lots of interest around it. And, and you know too, as far as our society has gone, more and more interest has come up around gamification. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you talked about parents because I wanted to ask you, have you ever in your years of gamifying experience parent pushback and how did that look and how did you deal with it? Or has it just been, Oh, this is cool. Uh, yeah. So parent pushback, oof, this, this may have, I will answer it in the quick, but this may have to be another answer carried over for the next questions with Paul. <laughs> uh, when I first, tell parents about it at like a back to school night that I gamify my class or whatever. You can always see like some head scratching, some little like, mm, I don't know about this, but then truly like I get a bunch of like positive compliments when it comes to the first parent teacher conferences where they're, and they'll admit, mm -hmm. they'll admit, Hey, at back to school night, I was thinking, what is this? And like now that they see their kid coming home from school, fired up, excited, doing like optionally choosing to do side quests, you know, like mm -hmm. they could have no homework this weekend. They could play Xbox for a million hours and they're choosing to say like, can we go to Michael's? I need, I need this certain thing, you know, and, and it was not a certain thing required by me. It's like their own creativity is like, I want this thing to make this project just right, which mm -hmm. isn't for a grade. Like now that to me is lifelong learning. That to me is you have connected to their curiosity, to their creativity. And now they have like drive towards those things and parents see it. Parents see it mm -hmm. in their 11 and 12 year olds. They're like, this is amazing. So in general, there's always a bit of skepticism up front and it mo most of the time is completely like settled down. I will say honestly, the biggest pushback you'll any of us will get, and it, and we will all get it, I think, on some level, is whenever you try something new, and name it so that it can be pointed to, right? Mm -hmm. This becomes the scapegoat for anybody that's not succeeding, right? Right. And like, you've been in education long enough. I've been in education long enough, like. I can say for certain no one did poorly in my class because of gamification. I can say that 100%. I would mm -hmm. bet my whole career on it. There are people that didn't succeed in my class like per their level of what they wanted to succeed at, but it wasn't mm -hmm. because of the gamification. Gamification did not impede their learning at all. It's they just, you know, didn't do the work, they didn't study hard enough, they didn't like they didn't take the advice, they didn't follow the directions, all these things. And then parents 
see their student get like a B and they wanted an A and they're like, well, I don't know this game, you know, Jimmy tells me this game is confusing. He doesn't get it. And like, and that's why it's a B. And it's like, no, like Mm -hmm. the, the thing, I mean, simply put, I was literally talking to a teacher this week, simply put the game doesn't exist. I mean, Mm -hmm. I have never said this on air, but like I'm telling you here first, Paul, the game doesn't exist. Everything I ask my students to do would be in my normal non-gamified class. All Mm -hmm. I've done is created a little story around these things. So when any parent says like, wow, this gamification thing is ruining my kid, like that's like why they got to be. You you just want to like shake them and say like, your kid would have had to do everything they did anyways. Mm-hmm. The game doesn't exist. The game is there merely as like to set a context, to set a story, to hopefully connect to our like inner hearts and spirits, to like choose to do more and be better and all those things. It's like it's there to inspire. There is mm-hmm. nothing in there work-wise that wouldn't be in my class anyways. Right. And so like that's the pushback you're going to get is the kid that's not performing to the level that they want, they will use that as a scapegoat. Awesome. Yeah. Well, not awesome, but good answer. I I will tell you though, (laughs) few and far between. So I don't want to scare anybody off. Right. I teach about 90 kids a year and I may have a parent that's vocal, Mm -hmm. which might mean there might be 10 others that aren't vocal, but that still means there's Mm -hmm. 79 parents that are happy and kids that are happy. And like, I don't know. I would argue that there's no such thing as like, there's nothing you could do programmatically that everyone Mm -hmm. would agree with. Choose a new math program. Some parents are going to be like, this is great. Some parents are going to say it's junk. Like, yep. Well, and I, I had one parent contact me skeptical and, and when I had, when I had given her the information that was outside what her kid had given her, she went, Oh no, I misunderstood. This is fantastic. Yeah. So well, I think the other, part that's of, the other thing. Yeah. Parent mm-hmm. communication and getting that understanding is mm-hmm. big. Awesome. We have time for one more. We do not. We have okay. time for uh, reflection time. That's what we got time for. Beautiful. Uh, this, <laughs> this one is comes from Ron Coleman and it says good questions inform Great questions transform. I like this in terms of my students. Um, This year I have a group of kids who love to ask questions. And my goal this year is to move them from those informative questions to their transformative questions. Um, We think about kids who ask One of the big things kids struggle with in my class every year is I'm not going to answer a lot of your questions. I'm going to answer your question with a question Um, until you, because those learning moments don't happen when you ask a question and are informed of the answer. You Mm -hmm. might get a piece of information, but the best questions are those that you can't answer in a sentence. They're the ones where you have to dig yourself and you have to find it yourself. And so I think it goes to quest. I think it even goes to the difference between questioning another person and asking those questions of yourself, and then going and seeking the answers. 
Yeah, 100% agree. I also want to say I'm hoping that Ron Coleman here was talking to you because, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I think that's the whole point of this series is that I, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that through these good questions and great questions that you and I are helping other teachers sort of transform their classrooms a little bit. And Absolutely. The experience they have with their students. It's it's awesome, and it's amazing what a question can do, right? Now you have mm-hmm. new data points, new ideas that that are in your head, and you have the choice to either actualize or realize those those goals and those ideas, or you mm-hmm. can let them fade, and that's fine. But like you, we all now have the opportunity to transform because of these questions. Exactly. Well, Paul, thank you so much for being on another episode. I hope to have you just keep going on throughout the year. I think it would be great have a little question. Absolutely. Uh, everyone else, thank you so, so much for being uh, a part of the well-played community here. And again, you can always hop over to my YouTube channel where you'll find this episode and you can comment on it. And we would love to hear from you. Uh, this is episode 129. Uh, As always, I hope you guys have a great day and play on.